This is Power and Consequence. Welcome back to Power and Consequence uh, after a brief hiatus of about a month. We're back, and you know what that intro music means. Right? It's time to be depressed because the world is awful, and we are going to hit the ground running uh, with a brief profile of one of the worst demagogues of the Trump era, probably second only to Trump himself in terms of America first rhetoric. Are you saying we're back with a vengeance? Are we going to watch Die Hard later? You've no. never watched Die Hard, have you? No. Never? No. Okay. Best, <laughs> best Christmas movie ever, but that's a different podcast. Uh, it's one of those things where I have nothing against the movie, but because I have made it this far into my life not watching it, it's almost like not watching it on principle. So you're setting up like arbitrary standards for your life just because? Correct. I like it. That's America. So... um, For you new listeners, this is not a podcast about um, Christmas movies like Die Hard, though that would be fun. Yeah, we should make that podcast. (laughs) No, no, no. This is a uh, podcast where we break down propaganda on a case-by-case basis. I'm Matt. And I'm Anna. And today is going to be a little different. See, normally Anna goes in kind of blind, not knowing the topic or the subject uh, of the episode. But today... sometimes I... I do know about them, but I don't know the, the ins this, and outs. Well, you don't know who I'm going to talk oh, about. Oh, correct. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, but today uh, is a little different. Um, today, we both know the subject of this episode, and uh, it's going to be Stephen Miller, former advisor to Donald Trump. And I know you know Stephen Miller. Uh, what can you tell our listeners generally what you know about Stephen Miller? Um, he's Nosferatu. <laughs> Allegedly. 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 Not, pro- not proven. Um, and he's responsible for a lot of the more racist policies of the Trump administration, including the Muslim ban and some of the immigration stuff, like the hardline immigration stuff. Correct. Uh, it's it's pretty much no secret. He was the architect of a lot of these policies. And, and it goes back years before Trump. We yeah, kind of, apparently he's always been this way. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it, 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 professionally speaking, he's always been, I don't know if I'd use the word obsessed with immigration, but it's it's been a cornerstone of his policy sort of communications. So we're just going to dive right into it. Basic Miller background. Uh, Miller is the descendant of uh, Jewish immigrants who came to the United States just before the original America First campaign. Uh, And this is according to his uncle, uh, retired neuropsychologist, Dr. David Glosser. Miller grew up in uh, Santa Monica, claiming his high school was, quote, very liberal, but it's in Santa Monica. See, it's all relative. Well, anecdotally, I think what uh, I read that his family was well to do and then they were not quite so well to do. So he went from like uh, a more privileged part of Santa Monica to a relatively less privileged part of Santa Monica, which... Does this mean that his idea of like a liberal school is the fact that they have black and brown people? It was a public school, I think is really is ah. my is, is what was getting at. Um, you may I don't know, Anna, if you've ever seen video clips from high school uh, when he made like a speech when he was running for student oh, government. You no. heard of this? 
I thought I thought you were asking me, have you ever seen clips from high school? I'm like, I went to a high no, school. No, no. I'm like, what are you? No, 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 Mil- no Miller's not, high school. No, I have not seen his speeches from he, high school. There was well, there was one in particular. It was it, I haven't seen the full s- video of it, but there were clips that included a now infamous little segment where Miller's on stage screaming like, "Why are we picking up trash? We have janitors for that." Like that was his stump speech in high school, right? And eventually, supposedly, they had to shove him off stage because he wouldn't stop screaming about it. So, or at least yelling. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he probably didn't have many friends. Uh, I mean, actually, it wasn't quite like that. Um, He was, well, anyway, we could speculate on that. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But um, he grew up and early in his political career, and we covered this in a previous episode, he worked, he went to work for Jeff Sessions. Um, He was very involved in sort of trying to undermine the so-called Gang of Eight immigration reform bill that, you know, ended up dying in uh, House of Representatives and never got brought. Um, And he was also, as we said, the architect of the Trump immigration platform. And he did a lot of work researching that, you know, prior to joining Trump. Uh, I I guess somebody published a bunch of uh, correspondence emails he had with Breitbart News in like 2015, where he's like giving, he's still working for Sessions at this point. He's giving them talking points and like, I think at least one time he sourced a uh, white supremacy website, V Dare, something like that. So that's that's Miller before Trump, right? Yeah. And we all know Miller during Trump, so now it's Miller after Trump. So I was hoping that he would just fade away. You know, I <laughs> I know I was being wishful up. thinking. Yeah. So Miller's latest endeavor is centered around the topic he's focused on for years: immigration. Uh, Well, specifically a certain type of immigration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to see him on the Canadian border. (laughs) What doing that thing like what Ted Cruz did. Yeah. Remember how he was like, oh, I'm going to like try and catch like immigrants crossing the border. This was like a few Uh, weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, they all went down there, you know, like a like a bunch of um, ignorant croc hunter type impressions or something. like that. Yeah. Apparently that was completely staged. Like no part of that was real. But again, I just want to see them do that on the Canadian border. Oh, never, never in their lives. But Miller wouldn't bother with that. He wouldn't be on the border because he's too busy making the rounds on Fox News quite a lot. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So he's stepping out into the spotlight with regularity, doing more interviews now than he really has in time in recent years and i i want to take a look at a couple of those interviews from last week and i want you to keep this in mind for the these end. were all from last week uh one was from the 18th one so this is getting like two weeks in a week oh, okay. so one from the 18th and one from the 23rd okay so while we're listening and discussing this uh just keep this in the back of your mind try to try to i know what i think but i want your take is Miller more. I know he's both, but is he more true believer or grifter at this point in his life? Okay. So just, just keep that one in mind. So we are going to start with an interview he did with Maria Bartiromo, uh, on April 18th. So Bartiromo, uh, has Miller as a guest and they cover a couple of issues. Uh, they talk about other things other than immigration, such as, uh, quote, cancel culture. Yeah. And tech companies and, Carrying Twitter as a common carry. I don't want to get into that. We've covered stuff like that. So I want to focus on the first part, which was immigration, which is, you know, Miller's bread and butter. So Bartiromo opens up the segment and tees up Miller to scare the shit out of her viewers. And Miller... Is the word caravan coming? No, no, we're we're past that. (sighs) See, that doesn't scare people anymore. You gotta gotta come up with new stuff. See, and what you're going to find is that she gives him an intro 
for a particular topic, but in the course of the interview, he never actually gets to explaining what that was because he just keeps going off in different directions. Well, tangential directions, you'll see. So this is Bartiromo asking about uh, lawsuits against the Biden administration and Miller's response. Joining me right now is former White House senior advisor Stephen Miller. He is the founder of America First Legal, a nonprofit organization that's helping state attorneys generals fight back against the Biden radical agenda. Stephen Miller, good morning to you. Thanks very much for joining us. Good morning. You heard what Governor DeSantis is doing, and there are similar lawsuits in Texas and in Arizona. Your reaction? Yes. So the lawsuit being filed by Florida, along with Texas and Arizona, is the most important lawsuit that is happening in the country right now. And my organization, America First Legal, is helping several of the states that are involved in this litigation. And I want to be very clear with your audience about what is happening and why it is so dangerous. So based on what you know about Miller, do you have any idea what's so dangerous? Voting. Voting? Voting? That's uh, the good guess. Um, So... He kind of explains in this next clip, which is basically a rant. Um, It runs a little long, but I want to play all of it because it was also the subject of at least. Also, I have a question. How many times does he say America first legal? I didn't count, but several. Because he's plugging. I guarantee that on the front page of that website, there is a donate button. Oh, um. I don't think it was actually I think it was at the bottom of the homepage. Yeah, come to think of it or, or you know, how you can help us thing right at the top how they yep. do. Oh, yeah. No, they absolutely totally take totally called it, dude. Yeah. So this next clip is like I said, it's basically a rant. Also, like Biden and radical agenda. I mean, if you think about it, it what Biden without getting too far into the weeds, I mean, it, he if he did half of what he says he plans to do in that state in that address to Congress, I mean, that is pretty progressive in certain ways. Just yeah, take but your it's pick. not radical. Well, it is if you're Miller. I mean, relative to his world, it's very radical, you know? But so is, like, you know, the integration of schools. Free school? How dare you? Yeah, well, quote-unquote, free anything. You know, yeah. government providing services. To him, that's True, radical. Which is so. kind of the point of government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We learned that from Parks and Rec. We did. Shout out. So, yeah. So here's here's... Uh, Miller's rant and response to that. Under normal administrations, whether it was the Obama administration, the Trump administration, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, if a criminal alien was arrested by a local sheriff's department, a police department, state troopers, state police, highway patrol, they were then flagged by ICE. Something called a detainer was issued. And when that person was released, whether they were bonded out by a judge, whether they were put on their own recognizance pending trial, or whether they completed the prison sentence, they were placed into ICE custody. This, number one, prevented them from absconding, and number two, once their criminal procedure was over, they would be sent home. The Biden administration has stopped doing that in the vast majority of cases. So all of those criminal offenders are now being released back into the U.S. population, back into your communities, back near your schools, back near the places where you live. The result of that is going to be massive amounts of recidivism. Innocent people are going to get hurt. Innocent people are going to get killed. Innocent people are going to suffer irreparable damage as a result of that decision. Yeah. Okay. And how many innocent people got hurt from not instilling a national mass mandate. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. And 
And uh, like compare, like calling them criminals is such a, it angers me a lot because it's such a specific targeted thing meant to scare people. You know, like, oh, these criminals are being released into your community. And I'm like, these people are just living their lives. Also, I don't like the whole your communities, you know, your your schools as like his coded, there's such a thin veil on his coded language. Like I know just from general knowledge of, you know, brief study of Stephen Miller. I'm pretty sure I know what he's getting at here. Oh yeah, he means white people. Let's yeah. not kid ourselves. Uh, I who's believe, watching this program? Yeah, come on. I, I believe that that's what he's saying. You know, e- but even he knows he can't flat out say it. Also, you know? if I may, like I grew up with a lot of undocumented people. They're not scary. Yeah, but he's not talking about undocumented people. He's talking about criminal aliens, right? Sounds scary, doesn't it? You know, it, it, like his language is very important. So also calling them aliens is such a dated word. Quite literally. In fact, I'm pretty sure that the current administration is changing that out. So in a lot of official language, alien is no longer the 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 word that is used in government, you know, documents. But I'm sure he has a problem with that. Yeah. So, I mean, you hit on it. There's a lot to unpack in those 75 seconds. Um, Fortunately, real journalists actually took a look at this. Um, The Washington Post ran a a fact check article on that very rant on April 22nd, and it took a closer look at Miller's claims. Um, So a couple of the salient points of the article, right? Uh, First of all, you remember he was talking about detainers, right? Mm -hmm. Known as ICE detainers, right? Um, Well, he's talking about every other administration and he went all the way back to Clinton, right? Well, see, here's the thing. So, Two things. One, during Clinton's administration, according to the Washington Post, mass migration, as it is today, was not the same problem, same scale, or political hot-button issue, you know? And there's a lot of reasons for that, you know? Yeah. Climate change and e- economics continued to get worse as time went well, on. Well, it's also U.S. meddling in these regions. Right, which, I mean, you know, let's not kid ourselves. That's pretty much since forever, you know? We've been meddling since we were an empire, and doesn't make us any different than any other empire, but got to own it. I'm just saying that part never comes up in these conversations. Not with him. No, that's just, that's just good. Like we don't want to explore the reasons why these people are fleeing their homes. You know, I, and you know what the sad part is, is that I'm pretty sure Miller knows. I mean, for what it's worth, he knows knows. why he just, you know, these, that doesn't serve his purpose. Um, another thing about the, uh, Clinton administration, ICE didn't exist until 2003. So yeah. Cause it was after, um, it was sort of the restructuring of federal in, departments in part. Yes. Yeah. Uh, connected to department of Homeland security response to nine 11 effectively. It was INS before that. Uh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. And then there was, you know, there's customs and, you know, there's border patrol customs and all that stuff. Yeah. Border so. patrol has existed for like a hundred years. Correct. ICE not existing until 2003, that's just the beginning of the problem with what Miller is implying here, right? Because he's painting everything with a broad brush, like every administration did it the way basically Trump did it, right? Which is not true because those detainers he's talking about were really only made possible because of communications infrastructure and a um, program known as Secure Communities. Now that was created alongside the creation of ICE and it really, it existed during Trump's or excuse me, it existed during Bush's administration, but it actually didn't even get going and be fully implemented until Obama, right? So, and it actually, it seemed it worked almost too well because during Obama's first um, term, I believe they deported 1.2 million people. Yeah, And then they had to dial it down. Obama's administration deported a lot of people. Right, so I believe around 2011 or 2012, they had to dial back and they had to narrow the focus of those detainers. 
as in like if, if it's a minor offense, you know, which is to say not like, you know, threat to public safety, then they were like their their instructions were just give us a notice versus, you know, violent offenders, serious felonies, then they would do uh, ice detainers and holds and take them into custody. That there was that part too. There was also a drop in um these administrative arrests, like what Miller was talking about, right? It's just like the Biden administration isn't issuing detainers and all that stuff. He can't know that for sure because he's not in the federal government anymore. Oh, so he says that he's got sources inside DHS and um, and ICE that are basically telling him this. Uh huh. And he's you know a lawyer or you know um, a, a journalist, so he can't divulge his sources that he definitely didn't make up. Well, he majored in communications, I think, but uh, that doesn't make him a journalist. No, it doesn't. But he, no active um, agent or bureaucrat, has confirmed what he's saying. The numbers do suggest. Uh, th- let me put it to you this way. According to the Washington Post, the numbers regarding um, the admin arrests from like fiscal year or from, uh, what was it, around April 2020 is when they started to drop off. That coincides when with when COVID restrictions came into place. I was about to say, like a huge part that's missing right here is the fact that the entire Biden administration has taken place during a pandemic. Correct. And the numbers provided by the federal government, the numbers that they could, that the Washington Post could get a, a hold of, suggest that there was possibly a dip in arrests um, beginning in 2021 under the Biden administration. That's true. But that's not the most important part here because Miller is coupling that number with the idea that. Um, undocumented people are inherently dangerous. Yes. See? Yeah. So that's the main point here. And also keep in mind, Miller at this point, he still hasn't actually mentioned what America First Legal's lawsuit is even about. And I don't know, maybe it's too nuanced for Bartiromo's viewers or something. I, maybe. Do you know what it's about? I do. We're going to get into it a lot. Oh, okay. Are you familiar with Title 42? No. Most people aren't. And that's not surprising. We, it's I didn't know. the point. Yeah. Right. I didn't probably. know this either. Um, uh, but basically it allows, uh, the United States to circumvent refugee due process and remove undocumented migrants in the name of public health. Oh, okay. didn't Trump use that? Yes. Yes. We're going to get into that. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. And so I, that's what he's talking about. I forgot without... what it was called. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's how it's referred to as title 42. It was first implemented in March of, la- of 2020, right? Anyways, so they uh, they get to refugees in a minute, but uh, for now they're going to pivot, and Bartiromo's going to talk about crime, and you know Miller's just going to pile God, on. Always and all. the crime. Oh yeah, this is going to be good. You'll like this. I mean, look at the number of shootings and murders up in the triple, t- uh, double and triple digits. Yeah. So what you're seeing right now is an attempt. Okay, we're going to pause. What? Are you shitting me? Is she referring to the number of mass shootings that's occurred? In like the last few months? She doesn't she doesn't specify. But but Miller comes up with an actual example, which also doesn't apply. So just hold on to that outrage. On the part of the left to change the conversation about violent crime. Let's be very clear. It's the war on cops, it's the war on ICE, it's the war on law enforcement that is causing there to be surging violent crime in America's major cities. Look at a case like Philadelphia. We have a far left prosecutor. Homicides are surging. Violent criminals are being released. If you want to save thousands of lives in this country every single year, take the strategies and tactics that New York's Mayor Rudy Giuliani deployed in the 90s and apply those nationwide. Support our cops, 
long prison sentences, take violent offenders off the streets, and in the case of criminal illegal immigrants, send them home. I hate that. Send him home. He wants to do broken window theory nationally? Correct. Correct. There's oh, so... Oh, fuck off, dude. There's so much wrong with what he just said there. So much wrong. No. I mean, I mean and you see how in the end he just fucking he fucking wedges in um undocumented people again he's talking about a domestic crime issue which by itself is a thing that is happening okay and then he again he juxtaposes that with undocumented people the two things are entirely unrelated right i mean okay so he so we'll get to what he actually said right um first of all by the numbers there there has been a spike okay in violent crime and that's because People are finally emerging from being stuck in their houses for a year. I mean, it, 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 that's the thing. It can be all kinds of things. This, that's one of the most, and you and I have talked about that. The, the, the discussion of what causes crime to rise or fall is one of the most hot button um, topics in, in sociology and, and in legal uh, strategy discussions, right? Um, I mean, for example, I mean, some people would make the argument that Roe v. Wade had a direct, there was a direct correlation between that and the drop in crime. Freakonomics. I, right, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. But And you know, my position is I, I don't believe that any one thing can be directly related. Correct. It's the, yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's a culmination of a lot of things, some big, some small. Right. The world is far too chaotic to say one thing did that, especially when it comes to crime. And I mean, like, isn't there like a correlation between like hot weather and violent crime yes it has been for years yes i i don't know why but in the summer months uh in, in the more the hotter uh fall months uh violent crime is t typically happens uh more frequently and with climate change that's just gonna get worse boom got him so miller talks about philadelphia specifically okay now to be clear violent crime has surged in philadelphia i am so shocked he didn't bring up san francisco oh god just, i would that would have been such an easy home run for him well and i'll tell you why he said philadelphia in a minute because it really is bad just by itself oh okay philadelphia Maybe in san francisco it's not bad enough well here's the thing philadelphia is reportedly on pace to have 600 uh, gun related homicides uh for before this year ends so this whoa. is whoa yeah that's like two a day mm -hmm. so this is from the abc this is from abc news quote in 2020 499 people were killed as a result of gun violence in philadelphia a 40 percent increase from 2019 um according to the acting u.s attorney jennifer williams uh the city is on pace to surpass 600 shooting deaths in 2021 williams said describing it as a quote horrible milestone so are these domestic violence situations is it gang violence see that's the thing what? i don't know all i know is there is a response that is happening and miller by his own statement is implying that nothing's really being done about this or it's the, the quote unquote the war on police because what he's referring to i think is sometimes referred to as the ferguson uh, excuse me the ferguson effect are you familiar with this so the Ferguson effect pretty much goes like this. When there is, um, and I'm oversimplifying here, but basically what it means is when there's an incident, when there's an event or a murder, right, and there are mass demonstrations against police, public sentiment against police, you know, just bottoms out. Yeah. Police tend to cop out, quote unquote. Yes. So, mm -hmm. and in doing so, crime rises. And the theory is 
cops are too afraid to do their job in normal circumstances because they're afraid of the potential fallout. People will usually cite things like, you know, for example, after Freddie Gray uh, died uh, in Baltimore, right? Um, there was a perceived supposed pullback, right, from police and crime spiked afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the implication is there's a direct causation effect here. Now, again, I just, as I just said, the world is far too chaotic to relate one thing to another that way. And yeah. with such, with such, you know, definitive, you know, kind of thought. Is there a particularly strong defund the police movement going on in Philadelphia right now? Uh, yeah, that's the, so here's, so here's the other part. You heard Miller mention, um, the Philadelphia district attorney. Mm -hmm. Okay. His name's Larry Krasner. I didn't know anything about this guy until, until I looked into it. And I'll get to him in just a second, but just real quick with regard to, uh, the situation with gun violence in Philadelphia, right? Uh, Miller's leaving something out, uh, and local Philadelphia ABC affiliate reported on this on April 9th, right? A couple of weeks before this interview, uh, basically law enforcement, local law enforcement will be partnered with federal agencies, including FBI, ATF, DEA, DHS, and more. And what's called the quote, all hands on deck initiative. All right. So it's not like no one's responding to the problem of gun violence in the city of Philadelphia. Interesting that they're taking such a hard line with Philadelphia because hasn't there been a lot of gun violence in Chicago for years? Yes, but it, it and to me, it's one of those like relative difference things, you know, and it's also it's also becoming very politicized because of in part, I believe, because of Philadelphia's district attorney, Larry Krasner. So Larry Krasner is certainly reform minded. Um, think kind of in the vein of, of Chesa Bowden so okay. to speak. So what, and whatever else you want to say, he's certainly, Krasner certainly, um, focused on prosecuting police who, you know, there's probable cause to believe they broke the law, right? Uh, more than 10 former or current Philadelphia PD officers uh, have been arrested or charged so far in 2021, according to Iona, Iona Jones writing for the Philadelphia Tribune. And I assume these are pretty major crimes. I didn't look into it. Um, I know that there is at least one, um, murder charge or, or at least some type of homicide charge from a police officer from 2017. But I believe that officer may have been like fired in a It was one of those kind of like South Carolina where it was just like, okay, this is pretty clear what happened here. Mm -hmm. So I believe that was a case where he was immediately fired, um, and arraigned. So, but they're still working on the case. That being said about Krasner, right? Um, he also, in that same piece that I'm talking about, he mentioned the, um, the stats for the DA's office in terms of charging gun, uh, uh, gun crimes. So, um, for the week of April 18th to April 24th, for example, 93 arrests for gun charges, uh, occurred that week of those 93, 83, uh, cases resulted in files charged, uh, files charged, um, or cases opened by the DA's office. Right. And I think last he he claims last year, they got conviction rates on like 85% of those types of cases, which is according to him, a pretty good percentage. Right. So and his response is, one, they prosecute the cases that are prosecutable be, and they're brought by police. And two, his stance is if there were more police accountability, which is to say the public uh, believes that the police are legitimate, then more people would be willing to talk to the police, which means it's easier to get it. You see how this goes? Skags, man. So. Yeah, that that's that's there's a lot of nuance to Philadelphia that Miller is leaving out because that doesn't make that does, that's not a good soundbite, right? He, no, it doesn't make when once you add nuance, it doesn't make for compelling television. 
right? Not to mention he's uh, Miller is leaving out the effect of COVID, which is a huge wild card. Yeah, and also can we just say that if we invested in like community centers and communities in these areas, that crime would at least fall a little bit. Yeah, you know? I mean, gonna, I mean it, and this is not to say that I believe or you believe that poor people are inherently criminal or dangerous, no. just that there is a correlation between poverty and crime. I mean, it's kind of logical when you're locked out of the legitimate economy for one reason or another. We know the reason usually. Um, you're, you need to eat. You know, you need to provide for people, and th that is what it is. And again, I'm not talking about people who are predatory and, you know, take advantage yeah, of the situation. I'm yeah, talking about people who are trying yeah. to survive. Yeah. You know, it's Les Miserables, you know. I stole a loaf of bread. So are we all going to sing and it'll work out at the end? Is that what you're telling me? I never watched Les Mis. Does it work out in the end? I mean, yes. And Anne Hathaway was okay, right? She lived happily ever after. Dude, just watch the musical. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. not the movie. Got it. Got it. Got not it. the movie. Oh, okay. God, no, the movie. Again, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Me ranting about musical adaptation. <laughs> Let us know out there if you want to hear Anna's rants on musical adaptation. Actually, I think people, there might be. Check a... out Sideways on YouTube. That dude will set you straight. Boom. Got it. <laughs> but you know who won't set you straight? Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and as you pointed out, lastly, regarding that rant, um, Miller's referring to Rudy Giuliani and broken windows theory yeah, of policing. Never, no. <laughs> again, so I'm sure most of our listeners know what that is. But And again, I am oversimplifying. Go ahead and Google broken windows theory. But basically, it broke down like this. There was a study um, conducted in the 70s that... Uh, which which has been kind of misinterpreted, by the way. Um, it was the same guy who did the Stanford prison experiment, by the way. That That's the same I guy. I did not know no, that. No, it's the same guy. Uh, basically, the way it was interpreted by so-called like uh, law enforcement experts was if you let the little stuff go, big stuff will become a problem. So if you focus on the little things like someone dropping a gum wrapper on the sidewalk, you know, you'll end up catching a lot of serious criminals in the dragnet. People will be able to invest in their community they'll you know things like that the their broken windows are literally a signal to everyone around that they can get away with crime and that no one cares about the neighborhood that was the theory that was the interpretation correct, correct. Yeah. so um when rudy giuliani was elected mayor in the early 90s he went straight to work and used uh william bratton to sort of implement this i mean one of the big things was uh people who were ch um cheating their fare on the subway for example they sent cops into the subways and their their argument was like hey yeah we're we're, we're citing everybody for cheating on the subways but we end up getting a lot of criminals because as it turns out not all people who their, their thinking was not all people who cheat on their subway fare are criminals, but almost every criminal cheated on their subway fare. Like that was the, <laughs> yeah, it, that was their rationale. And, you know, so it, it, the timing was perfect for them. And this is the reason why, because crime did drop drastically, right? But it dropped nationally. But you got it. Exactly. And it was only done in New York City. So that's the problem. So uh, crime began dropping nationally, not just in New York City, or excuse me, not just in New York City, but it began dropping uh, nationally. Yeah, and uh, also the the uh, crime drop actually started before Giuliani was even elected, and before Broken Windows was even implemented. That was also when Stop and Frisk was implemented. It led to Stop and Frisk as we know it today. Ah, got so it. Okay, that was under Mayor Bloomberg in the early and mid aughts. Okay? Oh, I didn't. 
know that. I kind of lumped the two of them together. Yeah, no. Bloomberg kind of presided over... So, so it's the same practice, but it led... Like, Broken Windows theory of policing led to the techniques of stop and frisk. You remember the part where I told you they believe that focusing on the little stuff would lead them to the big stuff? Yeah. Well, the theory then became, well, why wait for the little stuff? Why don't we just focus on the big stuff? And that's when they started stop and frisk, which was basically stopping and to use cop top jacking up anybody who thought they thought might have a gun for quote unquote furtive movements. So like putting your hand, like Uh, you, like you see a cop and you put a hand in your pocket for any reason that cop will say furtive movement. I'm going to check you for weapons. And I, I I mean, it was just like less than 1% of all stops, like a fraction of 1% of all stops got netted them any type of gun in 2013 a federal judge found that practice unconstitutional because they were clearly based on the records singling out people of color which you know we kind of all overwhelmingly oh yeah Yeah. absolutely so miller will have you believe that 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 you know wants you to believe in the giuliani miracle some now call it the giuliani myth that that will help crime and then again that whole thing he then ties back to undocumented people Right. Even though none of these stories about uh, crime increasing ever mention anything like that. You can't because there is no federal database that keeps track of things like that. That is the point. Right. If anything, it seems like immigrants are the victims in a lot of these cases. I will see. And that's the problem is that that's that may be true. But because of how we track data in law enforcement, we can't we can only we can sort of like how do I put this? Like you can take different kinds of data and kind of make a guess at what that means because the numbers he's talking about, again, he hints at this, like saving thousands of lives. I think he's hinting at that thing that Mo Brooks does where he says he uses ice admin arrest numbers where he talks about the number of, you know, admin arrests when in fact he's misusing the numbers. I think that's what Stephen Miller's doing. So he, there is no federal database that tells him that and him representing it like that is a lie or ignorance. And since he's a very smart man, I'd say it's a lie. Well, thousands sounds way more impressive than like two people. True, true. <laughs> Potentially. <sighs> so moving on, um, they pivot again. Uh, Miller and Bartiromo then talk about uh, basically refugee costs in general and just the cost of the refugee program, which is it was pretty abrupt. But this is what they have to say. In the middle of the worst border crisis in U.S. history. Refugee resettlement is inordinately expensive. So when communities are already paying the cost of resettling record numbers of unaccompanied minors coming illegally, when they're already paying the cost of resettling illegal families, now they're also going to pay the resettlement costs for flying refugees from 10,000 miles away into U.S. communities. So he doesn't really specify on that, the the, um, flying 10,000 miles away thing. But he's he's talking about the refugee program in general, which... Yeah, which... We allow very few people into the country on that. And it takes literally years for someone to be approved. Yeah. And and right before that clip, and I didn't leave this part in, um, he was bragging about how the Trump administration enhanced scrutiny in that process, which is their which way of saying- there was already, like they had to go through like three background checks or something ridiculous. It's not like it was like, oh yeah, you like they just hand you a piece of paper and you're free to come into the country. It when I say it takes years, I mean it takes years, mm-hmm. and yep. you can't miss a single court date. You have to have all of these documents. It's a very difficult process, right? Um, and Bart Romo corrects him on that and tells him that it's that you know there should be some empathy for people applying for asylum. 
Oh, well, that's the first. No, she doesn't do that at all. She just piles <laughs> on. It's unbelievable. The, and, and it's more expensive with refugees because they're getting all of the uh, they're getting all of the Correct. things that the U.S. gives, like food stamps, like right. free housing, free People education. Don't understand Is that this. right? Yeah. So in yeah. federal law, if you're brought to the United States as a refugee, all federal restrictions on access to welfare are waived. So you get Medicaid, right. you get food stamps, you get public housing oh and you get cash benefits. People don't know this. And so when you raise the refugee ceiling, you're taking cash directly out of the pockets of hardworking Americans during a pandemic when the middle class has already been hit so hard by these closures. Okay. Oh, now he wants to mention the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a lot to that. First of all, point of logic. Stephen Miller is complaining about federal law. He is referring to the Refugee Act of 1980, all right? But at the same time, he's suing for, for the Biden administration's supposed deviation from the law. So what, you see what I'm saying? It's like, how are you going to tell me that you're going to sue to make sure that the Biden administration follows the law to the letter, according to your interpretation, and then complain that they're following the law as the law was written? I still don't know what the, um, the court case is about. Okay, so, so we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, it, it, it has, again, that has to do with title for you. But you see what I'm saying? He's like eight minutes into his inner or five minutes into his interview. You still don't know what the thing was about. And it's almost He's, like us, you know, letting refugees into the country is like making them citizens or something. Yeah. So, and, and to be clear and to qualify for refugee status, I mean, you know, it's again, oversimplifying, but basically you have to convince our government that you will be killed or, you know, one example is you will be killed if you go back. These are people fleeing from fucking war zones, you know, and you're trying to make it seem like they're getting like, you know, because they get three hots and a cot on the federal dime, right, which is called, you know, taking care of fellow humans, uh, that, that we should somehow be pissed off about that. The, what he's referring to is the Refugee Act of 1980, right? Before 1980, um, there was a, the law was very clear that you could let in 17,400 refugees every year. Now, what changed in 1980 was fallout from the, among other things, fallout from the Vietnam War, okay? So in 1980, um, there was the Refugee Act. Basically what that meant was with some sort of cooperation and oversight with congressional um uh, boards and stuff like that, um, and committees, the president had a lot of latitude to raise and lower the refugee ceiling. So the president had the authority based on this act and has since 1980 to decide how many, um, refugees are going to be let into the country. Now that's very important. Okay. That has been the law since for 41 years. And that's what Stephen Miller is complaining about. This is also the law that allowed Donald Trump to do what he did, Right. So in the last year of the Obama uh, administration, Obama raised uh, the ceiling to 110,000 uh, refugees for that fiscal year, okay? And the fiscal year starts in October. That would have been in October of 2016. And that was the highest number, the ceiling, that was the highest number for that ceiling until like since 95. Then one week after Trump's inauguration, he used executive powers to drop it to 50,000, right? For the rest of the fiscal year. And the travel ban bullshit. Okay. And then eventually for fiscal year 2020, he, in the middle of the pandemic, um, he dropped it all the way to 18,000, which was basically the same level that it was before the refugee act even happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so 
it's under the discretion of the executive branch to set this ceiling and has been ever since that act, you know, was put in place. And this is what Miller's complaining about. He's complaining that something that has been on the federal budget for 41 years is on the federal budget. Well, he's complaining about it because it no longer suits him. Yeah, pretty much. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, that's that's Miller uh, complaining about a law that's been put in place for 41 years for humanitarian reasons. But they move on and they talk about, you know, regulating companies like Twitter, like I told you, common carriers. Blah, blah, blah. They talk about H.R. 1 and how it's a plot um, by Democrats to stay in power in perpetuity by changing the rules, even though it's, you know, the GOP that's sponsoring all these voter suppression laws. But whatever. Yeah. Whatever. We're going to move on uh, to a quick segment uh, he did with Tucker Carlson on April 23rd. Yeah, I'm sorry. And. I noticed something here. Miller kind of tailored his uh, presentation. Like with Bartiromo, he did his usual like, you know, ranting. But on Tucker Carlson, I I feel like he's a bit more angry. And I don't know if this is more performative or this is closer to how he really is. Well, he's speaking to a different audience, yeah. if I may. He is aware of the difference in audience. Mm. You think that you think Tucker's audience is more angry like than Bartiromo's? I'm saying there's a specific demographic. I think I see that watches go- Tucker Carlson. I think and I see he where you're going appealing with this. to that base. That's all I'm gonna say. Let me let me ask you a question. They, do they, do they look a lot like Tucker Carlson? You know, I think so. <laughs> so you'll be pleased to know you've been asking what this lawsuit's about. He finally gets to it. So wait, this- so he doesn't talk about the lawsuit at all? No. On so on the, ni- on the nine minute segment, he never actually says what the lawsuit was about. <laughs> what? Yeah, and she never brings it up. So, but on Tucker Carlson. He does. So this is uh, this is the intro, and this is Miller uh, picking up the mic once again. Steve Miller, thanks so much for coming on. I'm I'm sorry that it fell to you to do this. We're we're the governors who should be on this. But um, t- tell us, thank you for doing it. Tell us what you are doing. Well, I'm working with Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is a Boo. true patriot, and we should all be grateful to him Boo. to sue the Biden administration on behalf of the people of Texas for flooding their state with untested. COVID-infected illegal immigrants. The fundamental question here, Tucker, at the heart of this whole issue is whether American citizens are second-class citizens in their own country. You've talked about it on your show. For months now, Americans have been forced to have their businesses closed, their schools closed, their lives disrupted, their dreams shattered, all because we're told we can't be close to each other, we can't be near each other, we can't see our loved ones. Yet one group of people One group alone has been held out by the Biden administration as being subject to none of these rules. And yet these are the people who have no right to be here at all. Illegal immigrants coming in violation of law. Yeah. So first of all, I hate how he uses the term second class citizens. Okay. And I mean, technically, he's not wrong. We don't have health care or paid maternity and paternity leave. A living Um, wage. A living (laughs) wage. Yeah. I, I, I mean... So he's not wrong. Well, and that's that's the thing about guys like him and Tucker Carlson. They're big on they they they're big on populism, but only for a select number of people. And I was about to say, like, you know how many the billionaires just got more and more billions during this pandemic. If you oh, want yeah. to talk about, you know, multiple casts of citizens. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Their dreams weren't shattered. No, they- and it's almost like we couldn't be near each other because there's a oh I don't know what was it. 
God, I, I, there's so much has been happening this past year, but there was like one big thing. You know, I can't even remember what it is anymore. Yeah, and, and you know, the context of the greater part of that segment, they that they do mention that. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about COVID restrictions. And it's an interesting dance that they do because simultaneously they 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 like to, and by they, I mean people like Tucker Carlson and to a lesser extent, Stephen Miller. They like to say that, you know, COVID restrictions are like, you know, unconstitutional or illegal or child abuse to make your kid wear a mask, things like that. And then simultaneously sue the government for anything in violation of those types of laws and mandates, but only if it has to do with undocumented people. Magically, it's somehow dangerous again, right? Also, another thing, it's not illegal to seek asylum, but Miller did not make that distinction this time, right? And there's a very specific reason, because now he's going to get to explaining Title 42 and what his stupid-ass lawsuit is really about. Also, Paxton, boo. Yeah, Paxton, who is... Isn't he currently under investigation? Uh, If he's not, then that wrapped up very, uh, very recently. For those of you who don't know, Attorney General uh, Ken Paxton was under federal investigation for a long time for misconduct um, while uh, being a public official. So, like I said, Google that one. almost like he's the criminal. Well... Allegedly. Alleged, you know. Not criminal until he's actually convicted, so we'll see. So, anyways... Miller finally gets around to his lawsuit a week later after Bartiromo, and Tucker Carlson has a very uh, thoughtful uh, follow-up to to that. So we're going to court, and we're saying the Biden administration has to comply with both federal law, which requires the detention of aliens with communicable illnesses, as well as their own COVID regulations, and return illegal immigrants back to their home country. What would be the argument against that? What would be the argument against returning people to their home country that they fled for any number of safety reasons? What would be the argument against that? Uh, I think you kind of answer your own question, you know? Hasn't there been multiple cases of people seeking asylum at the border being returned to their home country and then being killed? I love how he asked it so, like, innocently. Like, what's the downside? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so he's he he's just I, I don't know what to say. You know, I'm I'm trying I'm I'm searching for something clever here. You know, but I got nothing. No, and again, it's just it harkens back to like the gasoline baths that happened on our border like 80 years ago, and just basically calling immigrants coming from the south dirty or disease infested is not new. And it's definitely not a new idea. Nope. Nope. Just reruns. Reruns of bigotry, pretty much. Yeah, they move on. And Tucker sort of frames uh, his question, you know, implying that this is all like a plot of the left, right? Yeah. And, and you know, what's the argument against that? The argument be coming from the left, supposedly. And uh, Miller totally gets what he's getting at, and he picks up on it. Well, I mean, part of it could just be that the political left, and look, ours is a nonpartisan organization, but that the political <laughs> left in this country believes that their social aims and believes that their economic aims are advanced by having massive numbers of people settle in the country who are not invited and who have no right to be here. And it's frankly, it's humiliating for American citizens. Yes, it is. It's debasing for American citizens to be told you can't visit grandma and grandpa, but yet thousands of people can be crammed together in tractors and trailers 
trailers and vans and holding facilities and then released to go into your hospitals to be taken care of with your tax dollars and to have all of this happen knowing that there is a regulation on the books, it's called Title 42, that says those people have to go home. Okay, so he finally actually talks about it. It's right? almost like we don't have room for all the people desperate to come into our country. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Title 42. He finally kind of mentions it, but he never really goes into the nuance. Non, Only that... Non-particle legal... Partisan. <laughs> yeah, non-partisan. Such a lie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Such a lie. I'm going to tell you something in you a minute. You called it America first. Yes. Correct. So, and I'm going to tell you something about them that if you don't know, you're going to, you're going to love this next part. But he finally mentions Title 42, but he doesn't really go into what his problem with it is exactly. And there's a good reason for that. Okay. So quick, I'll, I'll do a, as best an explanation as I can without boring the shit out of our audience. Um, the American Immigration Council, right? It's a DC based nonprofit. They've been around for years. Um, and they're an immigrant advocacy group. And they broke it down nicely in a piece in excuse me, in a piece that they uh, published on their website um, on March 29th of this year. Okay, so basically, and I'm borrowing from their article, I'll link it in the show notes as always. But basically, this is how it went. Okay. Uh, section 265 of title 42. That's what Miller keeps saying, right? Um, it's a U.S. code, um, that allows the director of the CDC, uh, to deny entry of people into the country if there's a risk of introducing a communicable disease. All right. It's a very old law. Uh, in March of 2020, Department of Health and Human Services issued a directive allowing the CDC to do this, right? So that same day, CDC director Robert Redfield issued an order um, suspending the introduction of persons from, quote, COVID-impacted areas. Now, remember, this is March of last year, okay? So, you know, if you did that today, you'd, your answer would be the whole world is covid Yeah, literally the whole but, world. Okay, so that's how they got away with it, I think, back then. So, quote, this included individuals who would normally be detained by CBP after arriving at the border, including asylum seekers, unaccompanied children, and people attempting to enter the United States without inspection. Citing the new CDC order, that same day, uh, the Border Patrol began expelling individuals who arrive at the U.S.-Mexico border without giving them the opportunity to seek asylum, unquote. So you see what they did for, it's not an immigration thing, it's a public health thing. And they were able to do an end run around due process rights for people who would normally be protected, like asylum seekers or unaccompanied children. Okay, so in essence, that order allowed the Border Patrol agents to rapidly expel people who would ordinarily be afforded those rights. On May 19th of 2020, that order was extended indefinitely. Okay, so then in November of last year, November 18th, if uh, memory serves. A federal judge issued a ruling on the policy, right? Quote, on November 18th, 2020, the I'm still quoting from uh, American Immigration Council. The practice of subjecting unaccompanied children to expulsions was halted by a federal judge who held that it violates the Trafficking Victims Protection Act and other laws. After a federal court stayed that order in, in January 2021, the Biden, which means they toss that out. The Biden administration amended the Title 42 order from the CDC to exempt unaccompanied children. As a result, unaccompanied children who arrive at the border have not been expelled for this reason since November 2020. Now, I see I see the look on your face. Wait. 
So, so, you, so you see where Stephen I'm going with this. Miller is suing the federal government to eject unaccompanied children at the border. The vast majority of people who are giving an exception to the Title 42 expulsions are unaccompanied minors. So his lawsuit, in effect, is suing the Biden administration to force the Border Patrol to start throwing unaccompanied minors back out of the country because they're basically the only group that really gets the pass on this type of expulsion. I can see why he didn't want to explain that. You get it, right? That's what his whole fucking thing is. And best part is that we covered this when we talked about uh, Governor Abbott. His, he is suing uh, on behalf of somebody in the state of Texas specifically, citing the danger of COVID. Texas, who lifted all, all COVID mask restrictions mandates, mu- yeah. like over a month ago. You see? So, and, and in the actual, in the, in the text of the um, lawsuit of the complaint itself, it talks about how dangerous COVID is. This is coming from Stephen Miller or organization of Stephen Miller's who was part of the Trump administration that downplayed the danger of COVID like basically the whole time until it was obvious it was a huge fucking problem. So yeah, that is what they're saying. And they're using the same region, rationale from March 2020, which is like, you know, international travel spreads COVID. Dude, COVID's already fucking here. You know, it's been here. Also, another point that the American Immigration Council points out, that Title 42 uh, ban, okay, that refers to non-essential travel. However, there's a lot of people that have to go back and forth for quote-unquote essential travel. They estimate something in the order of 9 million people have crossed the border for essential travel since this has gone on. And lest we forget, Senator Ted Cruz went down to Mexico, came back. He did not have to be quarantined. I doubt his family was quarantined. Also, a vacation is not essential travel. Right, exactly. Well, see, so the, the and that's another thing. Title 42 itself may, pro, but probably doesn't apply to um, U.S. citizens. But I mean, some people say it could be applied, but obviously they're not going to do that. So yeah, that's um, that's pretty interesting. And and by the way, in fairness, I have to point out that we are recording this after the news has broke that you know since there's just like India is like coronavirus is ripping through India right now. Yes, and there is a policy now that. Anybody who has visited India, they are subject to extra restrictions. So I, uh, non-U.S. citizens, excuse me. So I do have to acknowledge that point, that this is not something that, you know, uh, you know, health restrictions with regard to, you know, travel and things like that. That's not unheard of. It does happen. It's continuing to happen. But what Miller is talking about is not that. Yeah. And if in any way you guys can, please help India, because right now it's being estimated that if we do not tackle COVID in um, underdeveloped nations, which, you know, because that's a colonial history, um, COVID will not go away for years in these areas. Yeah, because, I mean, people, thanks to, you know, international travel, people are basically like water. We are all connected without getting too preachy. Um, It's just, that's just the way it is. There's no hiding from this. You know, anyways... Anyways, I mean, how many Americans died from COVID already? I mean, we're talking more than half a million, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the number is now. I mean, that's the sad part. I've lost track. How fucked up is that? That I've lost track. I just know it's more than 500,000. In I know in India, at one uh, recently, they were reporting 3,000 a day dead at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's just... It's and just, it's hundreds it's, of thousands of cases a day. Yeah, it's cr- they're getting crushed. 
it's it's awful because you have to remember how giant their population is in that country alone 1.4 billion so um that is pretty much it with regard to the interviews um i don't have any more clips but i took a look at uh, america first legal's website uh, to see what other types of lawsuits they're working on and i came across this one <laughs> america first legal sues biden admin to end racial discrimination against farmers and ranchers this is america first legal today what? America, yeah hold on <laughs> you're, oh, you think you're confused? Just wait. Today, American First Legal filed a lawsuit in the United States District Court for the Northern District of Texas to stop the Biden administration from administering a program created by Congress in the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 that discriminates against American citizen farmers and ranchers based upon their race, specifically sections 1005 and 1006 of the American Rescue Plan, of, Plan Act of 2021 provide benefits to farmers and ranchers, but excludes many potential beneficiaries based solely upon their ethnicity or race. Uh, and then he goes on, Stephen Miller goes on to quote Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, I shit you not. Do you recall something about um, helping uh, far black farmers, farmers of color with regard to the um, American Rescue Plan? Did you hear about this? Yes, yeah. So the provision is basically like anyone who's deemed socially disadvantaged. And I won't go into it because I'm not an expert with regard to, you know, discrimination against farmers who are people of color. Mm -hmm. um, it goes back literally, you know, over a hundred years. Um, suffice to say it, it, you know, there's a legacy of, you know, slavery and then sharecropping, Jim Crow, uh, all kinds of things. But what sums it up nicely is this, Pickford versus Glickman. Uh, it was a class action lawsuit against the uh, United States Department of Agriculture, alleging racial discrimination against African-American farmers in its allocation of farm loans and assistance between 1981 and 1996. Lawsuit was settled um, in 1999, about a billion dollars paid out. Found in- Whoa. Yeah, so, so yeah. A billion dollars, billion with a B. Uh, they found in favor of the plaintiffs, uh, basically saying that the USDA was, you know, discriminating against them because they were persons of color. And that that lawsuit was just the beginning of it. Like, like it went on from there. Like, the fight was ongoing. Um, so that's sort of like, why, so if somebody were asked, well, why would you give, you know, why would you earmark funds in the American Rescue Plan specifically to help farmers who are socially disadvantaged, i.e. persons of color? Well, that's why because there's a long and established history of discrimination against people. Think of it as, as like redlining, but against farmers, effectively. I was about to say, this sounds like they're just reaching parity right now. Correct. And by the <laughs> for, way... I, for decades of discrimination. Yeah, and of like the $1.8 trillion or whatever, I think it's like $4 billion bucks is, is what is what the earmark is. And Stephen Miller he, is saying that that provision that section is racist against white people that is the lawsuit that he's bringing i shit you not that is what america first legal is but it's nonpartisan. correct correct because in his mind white supremacy is a nonpartisan issue whatever else he thinks whatever else he thinks those are the two lawsuits that are most prominent for america first legal folks it's kick in effect it is kicking out um unaccompanied children during a pandemic and suing on behalf of supposedly discriminate against white farmers. Now, again, to be clear, I know that farming is a horrible industry for anyone involved in farming right now, other than big commercial farmers. I understand that. I'm not, if you, if you are a farmer who happens to be white, I'm not saying you have it easy. I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying that Stephen Miller is using your hardship as a fucking prop, okay? He does not care about how hard your life is, okay? He cares about raising money for America First Legal. That's what he cares about. Wow, that was very depressing. Uh, any final thoughts on Stephen Miller, Anna? He has always been literally the worst, and this is just more of the worst. I agree. But rounding all the way back to what I asked you, keeping all that in mind, right, when he was just a bureaucrat, you know, and like a dog-whistling white supremacist, that was one thing. Now he's got his own thing, and he's technically a private citizen, and he collects donations, as you said. So the question now is, whatever else he is, do we think, do you think he's more um, zealot? or or opportunist grifter i think it's a little of both right no no i agree um, but if i he, think he's been doing and saying these things far too long for him not to believe it at least a little bit um but i also think that he is taking advantage of the situation and making that money for my money i <laughs> interesting turn of phrase i think he's converting into mostly grifter at this point I, and by mostly, I mean like 55% grifter, you know, I, I think as time goes on, I think he realized he's never going to run for public office. He'd be too accountable. He's too smart for that. He just won't do it. Well, no, he can do arguably more damage from behind the scenes. Yeah. He, he wants to be, he wants to be Roy Cohn. He wants to be Roger Stone. He wants to be the fixer, so to speak, you know? Yeah. <sighs> oh, well, well, okay. That was thoroughly depressing. Um, that was our show. Uh, thank you everyone for listening who made it all the way through. That was excruciating to talk about, but it's important to really understand what Stephen Miller is, which is uh, a demagogue and an opportunist. Um, if you enjoyed being depressed, like, <laughs> like we have, uh, please subscribe and write a nice five-star review for the podcast and maybe share a link to the show with someone who, uh, might enjoy it. Maybe enjoys the wrong word here. Might be engaged by it. Um, and we will post, oh, did you, did you ever find the, the New York times does have a, a list of how to help India amid the COVID crisis. And at the bottom, it has many organizations you can uh, donate to, including groups specifically located in India. Okay, great. We will post that, uh, in the show notes. So that should be good there. Uh, all right. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening once again. And uh, keep your heads down. Please read some reputable newspapers for your uh, information. Source check everything, including us. Uh, we'll include our sources in the show notes. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.